0: Here's where we've been. Like I, I know we have some people that are just coming in and maybe haven't been here for the first two weeks of this series. So we, we're looking at this series that we've called Let Us Pray. And you have Oramis that's this Latin word here. It literally means let us pray. So super creative here. Um, it's this word ormus. It, you have both an invitation and instruction in it. You have whole things of prayer that have been built off of this word, miss, but it's also just this invitation, hey, come invite. It's at the very beginning of these historical prayers. And so we just want to embrace those things. So the first part of this series, the first two weeks, we looked at the invitation part. So we're looking at what's the purpose of prayer, and then also what's the power of prayer. Um, we The purpose, meaning that there's fellowship with God. We have a relationship with Him that we can step in. We can commune with Him and talk with Him. We have a God that we know that we can call our father and he invites us to come and kind of be with him and share anything that's on our hearts but not only do we get to come and just like share our hearts with him we also have this power in prayer because our Jesus is powerful we come and pray to Jesus we come to pray to the father because we have a Jesus who's so powerful that when he hears our words that he can actually do something about it and so tonight, we are wanting to make a little bit of a transition. So if you have Ormus, or you have the invitation of prayer, we also want to look at the instruction of prayer. So we're going to spend the next four weeks in the Lord's Prayer, just the like historic instruction of Jesus for how you pray. And so we want to get into this theme because we, what you have here is not just, it's also an invitation from Jesus to come and pray, but he's giving us, he's like opening up, hey, this is how I pray. The disciples come and ask him, like, Jesus, how do you pray? Instruct us. Whenever you pray, there's just something unique that happens in your life. And they just come, and they're like, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so he's coming, and he's just telling them, hey, this is how you do it. Like, here's, here's what we're doing. It, he kind of gives you a skeleton in the Lord's prayer for what it looks like for you to pray. So if you, have a, if you can think about writing, um, you all remember this? take you back to our elementary days, elementary school days. So if you're like writing a story, like you have the plot skeleton, maybe I'm just super old and y'all are like, I don't, they don't do this anymore, Josh. Um, but what they have is like, you have these different parts that they're trying to help you put together, like an outline for how you're going to build up a story. Well, Jesus is sort of like giving you the skeleton, the main principles, the main points, the plot points for the story, for how you are to build prayer. And then the rest of it, you're filling in with the commentary of your own life. So you see the plot skeleton, you have the, uh, like the main character and their needs, you have the inciting incident, the complications, you have all these different parts to the story. Well, Jesus is like, hey, here's the main principles. I have six guiding principles for your prayer life. And what you do is when you come to the Father in prayer, then you come and you fill in the skeleton with the commentary of your life. Here's the main principles, and then come and bring your life to him. Come and step into this conversation with your God and fill it with the things that after these principles and these points, all the things that strike it you up in your own heart, things that are happening in this world and in this life, you come and you bring them to God. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at two, the very two first parts of the Lord's Prayer. All right, we're going to look at the address and we're gonna look at the first petition that you see in the Lord's Prayer. And here's, here's my hope, all right? Like, I, I'm hoping, like, throughout this whole series that God's just placing this desire and this burden inside of us to be a praying church, that we're a praying people, that we wanna know our God deeply, but we also wanna see him work, like, wide in our city, in our world. And the, what we see in the Bible is, man, if, when we come, when we bring this, when we come and we speak with our God, there's a way that he he grows our affection for him, but then he also does a unique work in the life of his people. And I just want that for us. I want this for this church. All right. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at the first, the address and the first petition. All right. So look with me at the first, at the address. Here's what it says. Our Father in heaven. Alright? Our Father in heaven so like this this seems like something you can just jump over really quickly right like very few words um, if you 're thinking about like a uh like an email or something it 's something you skip over right you don't you don 't look at it you don't give it a lot of thought or attention to it. You just skip over it but this is something that we need to stop it's, this isn't just a normal introduction this isn 't something for us to just skip over it 's not this letter of admission that you like go down the letter in order for you to find like what the actual result is of your application like this is like very packed full of meaning. It's also like the, another temptation that you can look at for the address is that it's sort of like this cheat code, you know? Like video games, like you have the cheat code that Jesus is giving you the cheat code for how you get what you're wanting to ask when you come to God in prayer. But it's not a cheat code. It's actually much more than this, all right? So it's, it's not just like your run-of-the-mill introduction. It's not a cheat code that Jesus is trying to give you that you come and you pray in the Father's name and then you get whatever you want, what you actually see here, if you go and you really wrestle with what this looks like, is actually a, a means for us to pause before we jump into the body of our prayer. What Jesus is inviting you to do is to stop and to slow down and to be reminded of who God is, the person that you're coming to speak to, and also your position before this righteous God. That's what he's trying to do in this our Father in heaven. So here's, here's what I want us to do. Like as we're thinking about this, I want us to pause and I want us to think about like just a few of the different words as well as just what these promises um, that come to us are as we're working through the address, all right? Before we do that, here's what Luther, Martin Luther has to say about the address. He says, the address is a call to not plunge right into talking to God, but to first recollect our situation and realize our standing in Christ before we proceed in prayer. So with that in mind, let's look at the three words, three primary words here, and it gives us three reminders, all right? So here's the first one. So you have our Father in heaven. So you look at the word our. Here's what this reminds us, that we have a shared faith. We, yes, when we are invited into relationship with Jesus, we get a personal relationship with him, But whenever we step into this faith in Jesus, it's not just a personal relationship we get, but we're also invited into this family of faith. When we step in, we have these people that we walk in relationship with, that God has placed us in relationship with, in order for us to work in this faith together. And when we see this word our, I think what Jesus is trying to get us to do is to get us to stop and to pause and to think about those that are around us. Because look, we're not only people that need prayer ourselves, but we also, we have people around us that also are in need of prayer. And so when Jesus starts off this word with our for the address, I think he's trying to like kind of shock you and awe you. Like, it's not the my father in heaven. Jesus says our father in heaven. He's sharing God with us. And we get to have the shared faith that we invite other people to be prayed for by our living God. It's a beautiful thing. Like, that we aren't just in this isolated faith like we, we're not in an isolated faith, but we're in a shared faith that we get to walk hand in hand with other people. And we also have the privilege to come and bring them to the almighty God in prayer. It's like a huge, huge privilege for us. So the address, the first thing we see, we practice a shared faith. The second one is this, we have a relational God. So our Father who is in heaven. This is a subtle reminder of our position before God, right? Like we have... We're no longer these lost orphans, but we're now adopted sons and daughters of the living God. He's invited us into this very particular relationship with him. Galatians 4, I think, puts it really well for us. It says this, When the time came to completion, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, and daughters, you could add here. Sons is a very particular word that's used because he's talking about like a firstborn son. Firstborn son gets the inheritance of the whole entire family. So he's not being specific, just gender specific here. He's actually talking about the privilege that you get when you come to faith in Jesus. You get all of the good gifts of the firstborn son. Um, So you have the sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. So look, two things in this passage, right? That I think what Jesus is trying to remind us of when he says the father, when we get to have a relationship with God who is the father, there's an enormous cost in order for that to happen. You see this, that at the, when time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. How does he redeem Him? He dies, like, Jesus steps into our mess, and he comes, and he pays the price that we couldn't pay for ourselves. So there's an extreme, enormous cost for us to be able to call God Father, but then there's also this incredible privilege, because at the end of this passage, it says that you are made an heir, all right? So, like, imagine, um, like, I don't, I don't know their names, like, some of the royalty in their little kids. You see pictures of, like, the royalty and their kids together, um, there's a privilege that comes with being the child of a king or a prince, isn't there? Because you both, you both get proximity to the king, but then you also get in intimacy. Like you have access, but you also have intimacy with the great king. I mean, you can even think of like Obama, like one of the things that, I almost threw a picture up here of this, like Obama and his two little girls, you know? Like, You just see a huge smile on his face, and there's these pictures where he has his arms around his daughters. There's intimacy, but there's also access that they had to this very powerful, the most powerful man whenever he was president. You see this, and look, this is what Jesus is saying to us, is Paul, through Jesus, saying that we have as a real children of God, that we have both access and intimacy with the Father, that we can call on him by name, and through Jesus, that's exactly who you are and what you have. Jesus is saying, hey, before you dive into prayer, Like, not only do you have a shared faith, you have this family of people that you're now around, but you also have God who's your father, and there's an incredible cost that Jesus knows he's about to go pay in order for that to be the case for you and me, but he also says there's this incredible privilege that we get to come to him, and we have access and intimacy to the God who spoke us into existence, who holds things all together in his hands. We have access to this God. So he's like, hey, before you dive into the body of your prayer, like, recognize, remember the position you have before this God. Third, we're under authority. So he says, our Father in heaven. So not only do we get to know and serve this very personable God, but we also have to come to the grips and the realization that he's far superior to us. Jesus is saying, our Father who's in heaven. We're here on earth God is in heaven. There is a difference between us. So when we come to God, he's saying, hey, look, it's not like you're coming to your best friend and you're just chopping it up. It's not like you're coming to an equal here that you can just come and speak as you normally would. He's saying, like, no, you need to stop and you realize who you're coming to. When you're thinking about coming to God in prayer, yes, you have the personableness, you have the intimacy, you have the access of God as your father, but there's also this realization that he's far above us. And so when you're coming in prayer, like he's he's inviting you to stop and think and recollect on all these things. I have a shared faith. I have a father who's in heaven. He is bigger than me. He's superior to me and I need to live and this needs to affect the way that I bring my petitions to him right? Like, so think about this whenever you're coming to, like, a meeting with, like, someone at your work that's above you, right? Now, get rid of all the anxiety and angst and fear that you have, Um, but there, when you walk into, like, someone that is above you in your workplace, you have to stop and you kind of rethink what you're about to do before you walk into the office, right? Now, if you have a really good, a good boss, then you have somebody that you can be friends with, and they're very, like, kind and welcoming to you. But when you walk in, there's still a difference. It's not like you're going to somebody that's below you on the chain. Whenever you're going into a boss, like, you have to stop, and you have to think, and you have to recollect before you go in. It, and, and a lot, it's different, right? Like, there's no equal there. But it's something that I think Jesus is trying to cause us to pause and think and recollect before we walk in to the body of our prayer. So look, this is not the cheat code to prayer, the address. It's not just an introduction that we're to skip over. I think Jesus really wants us to use this to pause before we step into the body of our prayer to think and be prepared about the privilege that we have in prayer. So here's what this can look like, all right? So before you get into prayer, this doesn't have to be like 10 minutes where you're just like, okay, I have to stop and I have to wait and I have to think and I have to like prepare my heart before I step in. I think it can just be a few moments, all right? So here's what this can look like, all right? So you're, you take a deep breath, right? Take a deep breath with me. Deep breath, all right? So you're walking into prayer and so like your eyes, maybe your eyes are closed and you're like, my walk with Jesus is just isn't about me, right? Our Father in heaven, our Father. My, my faith is not just about me, so who do I need to pray for? Who's in my life? Who's in my d-group? What are the things that were shared with me? Who do I need to bring to this almighty God that I have a privilege of being in relationship with? And then you, you move on. And you're like, okay, I'm speaking to God the Father. He's my, he's my dad. He's one that I know that I have access and I have intimacy with. I can come and speak with him about anything that's going on in my life. And so what are the things that I need to be really transparent and I need to talk with him about right now? What, what do I need to bring to this father who I know has infinitely loved me that he knows what's going on in my life, but I need to come and I need to speak with him about things that are going on in my life? What what is that, how do I do this? What does what he call him leading me to do? Then after that, you move to the, the heaven part. He's in charge of me. He's the one that I've submitted my whole life to. I have this rightful position before him, but he's still far above me. He's so much bigger than me. And so how, do I inf- how does this to influence the questions, the petitions that I bring God in my prayers, the things that I'm asking for, how does this influence the way that I bring those things to him? You pause and you think on this stuff before you move into the body of prayer because Jesus wants us to come to the realization that we have this great privilege that we can call on the God of the universe and he hears us and he'll intervene in our life and our world. So after the address, the invitation to pause and to prepare, Jesus moves into this first petition. And so the first thing Jesus prioritizes in prayer is God and his name. He says, your name be honored as holy. All right. So this first petition, here's what I, I would like for us to think about. All right. This first petition is all about worship. This first petition is all about worship. Here's my best definition that I could come up with for worship. I tried to, like, look into others, and I was like, I just need to, like, put my own own together. So here's what I did. Worship is the reverent response to God as he has revealed himself in the Bible in every facet of life. Thought, word, motive, and deed. All right? So another way of saying, like, we're coming to God, and we have a recognition of him in his word, and then because of this realization of who God is, we go and live as if God is who he says he is. That we come to the face of this big, enormous God, this almighty, this all-powerful God, and we see him for who he is in his word, and it affects the way that we live. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. Here, that's the heart of the first petition. So, here's kind of where I'm getting this, all right? So, you may be looking at me and, like, I don't, your name be. Honored as holy, how where are you getting this? Here here's here's what I'm getting, right? Admittedly, this isn't a transition that we're a translation that we're used to, right? You may look at it and it's like, where's the Harry Potter word, right? The hallowed. Where's the word hallowed here? So what CSB, which is our translation, it just gives us the definition instead of the actual word hallowed here. So honor what is holy or set apart is sort of the definition of what hallowed is. So if you look at this, though, sort of like what's the root word for this in the original language? It means weighty or heavy, important or significant. All right. So um, think about it like this. My dad, after Hurricane Katrina, um, went down to work, do some disaster relief. And uh, he was there when President George W. Bush came to visit. So he's working with like this whole organization. They're doing a lot of like clearing out all the debris that had happened after Katrina. And so my dad is there, he's doing all the work. And then word got out that Bush was about to be there. And he said this whole entire organization, it just like, everything just changed, right? Like George W. Bush is coming, Um, everybody's, demeanor changed everybody's way that they were acting the way that they were doing things things just kind of came to a halt and then bush comes in my dad actually has this picture i don't have the picture to show it up to you but you just have to take me at my word for it um so bush is there my dad gets a picture with him and he said it was just this it was just incredible the way that you could see the Everybody changed in their demeanor with how they worked and the way that they were doing things. Well, in the same way, I think this is what Jesus is trying to get at to us when he says that his name is to be honored or to be hallowed. Jesus instructs us to pray that this weight and this significance, like what my dad experienced with President Bush, Jesus is saying, Hey, I want this weight and this significance to come over you when you just hear the name of Jesus, the name of the Father. Like when you hear the name of God, I just want you to, this weight and this significance and this importance of who God is just to overwhelm you when you're coming and you're praying with your God. God's name is really important to him because this is how he revealed himself to his people. So if you're looking back throughout the Old Testament and you're like, why is the name of God such a big deal to him? Well, this is how he revealed himself to his people. So think think about this, all right? So we know the Old Testament. We know that Israel went into Egypt with Joseph Israel or Jacob and his 12 sons went into Egypt in order to have provision for their families in the midst of this incredible famine that was taking place. And then you fast forward and what you see is that this nation of Israel has grown tremendously. By the time that Moses comes around says there's 600,000 men that are a part of Israel. So this, this whole country has just exploded in captivity in Israel. In Israel, um, as they were about to leave, they hadn't really heard from God for about 400 years. And so you have Moses, you know the story. He comes up to the burning bush and the burning bush, God speaks to him in the burning bush. And as Moses is hearing what God is calling him to do, God's calling him to go back to Israel to free his people, to get them out of Israel. Um, out of Egypt to come into the promised land, and he's like freaking out, right? And so he's, he gets to this point where he's like questioning back to God, and here's one of the things he says. He says this in Exodus chapter 3, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what should I tell them? And then here's God's response. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So look, like what what's happening here is they have not heard from God. Moses knows that they're going to have this question too. Moses himself, well, who's this God that you're saying you're coming to speak to us about? They're going to ask for his name. What's your name? Like, we haven't heard from you in forever. And so that he comes and God gives him this name. This name, I am, is commonly known as Yahweh. You've probably heard this, right? Yahweh. Um, So Yahweh is the name that God gives himself for his people. And the people of God took the use of this name really seriously. So here's some things that they did around Jesus' time. They would not write out the full name of Yahweh. They'd only write, they'd leave out all of the vowels and they'd only write the consonants that were in the name of Yahweh if they're writing it down. And then they would use other names of God in order to speak the name of God instead of actually using the word Yahweh itself because they didn't want to use it in vain. So it seems like on the outward that there's a lot of seriousness that they take the name of God with. There's a lot of measures that they do to honor God's name, but they miss one thing, and it's how they live their lives. Because then you see in Matthew 23, verses 27 through 28, he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity." In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, outwardly, the name was heavy, significant, important to the people of God by the measures that they took, but inwardly, the name of God was really light. Jesus is saying, may your significance come over us at the sound of your name when he gives us the first petition, your name be honored as holy. Now, this petition, I think, implies for us in the way that we are to pray in a couple of ways. For ourselves, also for others. Another way of saying this is both personal and public, all right? So when we come, we pray this petition to God. Here's what, he's, what Jesus, I think, in my own words, saying, God, your name be honored as holy in my life. Now, when we consider the personal side of this petition as we're thinking about praying it over our own life, Notice Jesus' wording here, all right? So Jesus, um, whenever he says, your name be honored as holy, he doesn't say let me honor your name as holy, does he? He doesn't, like, put this personal spin on it where he's saying, like, you pray that God would allow you, like, that you would keep the name of God holy. That's not what he does. Instead, he says, your name be honored as holy. It's a request that God would make his name honored or as holy or hallowed in our life and not us. And so in this first petition, you already see, like, the nuggets of the gospel here. All right. There's these nuggets of the gospel because basically what you're saying is like, God, I can't do this. I need you to do this in my life. You have this G.K. Chesterton guy. Um, He was an English writer, philosopher back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And he lived during the the time of the great two wars. And so there's this newspaper during his time that put out this uh, question to the crowd because they wanted people to write back and get the, get their responses. So in the middle of all these great wars and stuff, you can imagine just what the questions would be to this, the answers would be to this question, what's wrong with the world? The newspaper puts it out. What's wrong with the world? They want to hear back from the public. And so you, you could go all these different places, right? You could have politics or what's wrong. Do you have this hunger for power? That's wrong. You have prejudice. That's what's wrong with the world. But Chesterton writes back to The newspaper, and here's what's reported. He wrote back just four words. He says, Dear sirs, I am. I'm what's wrong with the world. When we pray this first petition personally, we respond like Chesterton does. We're saying to God, You need to do this in my life. God, if your name is to be honored, this big and important, significant aspect of who you are. If I'm to revere you, if I'm to follow you and if I'm to live in a way that worships you with all of the facets of my life, like you're going to have to do this, God. I I can't do this in and of my own power. Like I I can look back at my life before Jesus came into my life and I can look at the trajectory of my life. There's nothing that I could do in order to work up all the energy in order for me to actually be the one that makes your name hallowed or honored or holy in my life. God, if this is going to happen, like it has to be you. You're going to have to be the one that does it. I'm the problem. The problem is inside of me. Like, I have the sin issue. I'm the one that's that's propelled towards the trajectory of sin. I'm not propelled towards obedience to you, God. Like, if this is gonna be an actual thing in my life, I need you to come and do the work. You're gonna be the one that has to do this. That's what Jesus, the way that he phrases this is not let me, like, not defile your name. He's saying, no, God, you, your name be honored as holy. I need you to do this. So in the very outset of this prayer, we get the reminder of the goodness of the gospel that we need God to do what we cannot do for ourselves. And thanks be to God that Jesus has done that for us. God, you make your name honored as holy in my life. You cause it to be weighty and heavy and significant and important. And may I live my life because of what you are doing inside of me rather than me trying to muster up all the energy and strength to do it. But we don't just pray for ourselves. Remember, we have a shared faith. We're also to pray it for our world too. So publicly, here's what I think it can look like. God, your name be honored as holy in the world, here, near, and far. The most essential need of the world is for us to know God and for us to worship him as he's revealed himself to us in the Bible. Amen. So like, think about this for our own city. All right. Like we, we love St. Louis, right? We love St. Louis. Um, There's so many things to love about our city. You have great parks here. Amen. We're at a park this past weekend. Kids loved it. We have good sports, the blues moving into the second round, right? Got to cheer that on, right? Um, we have good food, we have good food here. Like there's lots of things to love. (laughs) We have lots of things to love about our city, but we also know very, very well, like what are the problems and the challenges of our city, don't we? I mean, you just turn on the news, like we're, feels like we're reminded about it constantly. I talk to people whenever I'm out traveling around or we're visiting different places where we're from, one of the first things that they know us about are either the Cardinals or our crime rates you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sure you felt that. Um, Yeah, like, the homicide rates, I mean, you can go the list down, like, the incarceration percentages, I mean, you feel the racial and social division here. Um, The bank that we have for our church is just across the Del Mar divide. Um, Been having to drive to go and do some deposits over there in Man, you just feel it. It's on 13th Street. Like, you drive over it. Like, you feel the divide, how divided our city is. Like, you feel this here. We hear all sorts of suggestions for, like, how to fix the problems, don't we? I mean, there's tons of things. A a Facebook page um, recently after the most recent um, election that we had here, it's like, we need new leadership and we need new legislation. And so we make big deals about the upcoming elections. And this thing that I saw on our neighborhood Facebook page was like only 11,000 people showed out for the elections this last year, this last um, election. And people were just like up in arms about it. Like, my goodness, we're never going to change. Then you have broken systems, and it's like we make a big deal about social reform. You have the division and the prejudice, and it's like we need these new movements. We need these big things that are going to take place in the life of our city, right? Like, now, like, these are all, like, I'm not saying that any of this is bad. All of this are things that I, I think we can get behind. However, if you want to see, like, this thing that we just prayed about, Micah 6 8, come to fruition, I think it starts with this petition. If we want to see justice and mercy and walk, people walking humbly with God, it has to start with people revering the name of God. It starts with their worship. If we long for real change, it starts with God being known and honored as holy. Like if we want a city that's changed, if we want to see God come and do a work here, it's not just by these big massive movements that are conjured up by us as people that we step into the crooks and crannies and the crevices of our society. It starts with seeing our God's name honored as holy in the life of our people and our society then bending towards that very same god our social problems begin with our worship problems so look if if we want to see like these big massive change that we hear all the time like this is where the petition starts (laughs) it starts with like god i want to see you revered i want people to honor your name as holy here to set it apart As holy, like this is the the deep desire. God, your name be honored as holy in this world here, near, and far. God, we long for this. We take this, we take action, but we know that we can't change hearts. Like we need you to come and to do this. This is what I believe Jesus is saying in this first petition. So look, when we come to God in prayer, with the address, we first stop, we reflect, and we prepare ourselves for who we're about to talk to. The hour, I have a shared faith. Who do I need to pray for? I have this good Father in heaven. There's great cost and sacrifice, but there's also enormous privilege. I get to come and talk with this God. How do I need to come and what do I need to talk with him about? You have the heaven, praying that our God who is in heaven, God, he's in charge, not me. How does this need to influence my request as I come to him? Then you have the first petition. Your name be honored as holy personally. God, I want you to see, I need you to do this in my life. I can't do this myself. Come with him in confession publicly. God, your name be honored as holy in this world, here, near, and far. Only you can change hearts. Move our city to love you, fear you, and value you. Like, we want all these things, all right? So here's what I want us to do. I'm trying to wrap up quickly because I want us to be able to pray together, all right? So we're going to do communion together here in a second, so I'm going to work through that real quick. But I want to do it in with a special request, all right? Special request. All right, so we're still in the process of like building this really young church, right? Amen. Um, so we've launched, but we haven't arrived. So there's a lot of things that we're needing to work and continue to grow towards what we really feel like God wants us to be. Um, and here's like, as I was wrestling this, the, over the last few weeks, I'm um, just like, man, what would it look like for us to have specific team that was dedicated towards prayer? So, like, here's sort of where I'm getting this. I mean, this is nothing new. If you've been in a church, you've heard of prayer teams, right? Um, But here's what, like, uh, really has my heart stirred for this, all right? So um, I was reading this story. There's this old pastor, Charles Spurgeon, and uh, he would have people that would come to his church on a regular basis, and the Lord was just doing, like, this incredible work in this ministry in England. And so they would come, they would visit the church, and then they would come up to Spurgeon and be like, hey, like, what's the secret sauce to what God's doing here. Like what, what is it that's happening? And so there's this story. It's kind of, it feels like an urban legend at this point, but like it, the, the story goes that Spurgeon took this person that had asked him and they went down the flight of stairs. And you can imagine what's going on through this person's mind, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to get to go see the chalkboard right? I can see the chalkboard of all the strategies that Spurgeon is doing. So they're working, They're walking down. They're probably working through all these other things. Oh, he's going to take me to like this, his inner layer where I get to see his library and see all the things, all the, the things that he's learning, all the people he's turning to. He's going to help me see and unlock this imaginary thing. And then he goes towards the boiler room. And now you probably have to think like, oh, he's taking me to my death. <laughs> he's about to do something I don't want to be a part of. And so he, the story goes, so he opens up the door and and he points in and has the person go in and poke their head in. He says, This is like this is the power behind the ministry that's happening. And in the room, there's three hundred people that were just praying. So this is this is a team that gets together on a regular basis. And they're praying for me as their pastor. They're praying for our city on a regular basis. They're praying for our church. They're praying over things that are happening in the lives of our people. Like they, this is the power behind the ministry. We have a people and a church that's praying. So look, like I I want this for us, like holistically, I do. Like I want us to take this seriously in our life that we would be a people that pray on a regular basis, this is like why I've laid the challenge. Let's be a people that pray 20 to 30 minutes, three to five times a week. Like, let's, let's do this. Like, let's practice this. But I feel like we need something like a, a team. Because like, here's what I love as people come into our services, all right? As they come in and as we respond and we have communion, like, man, I would love for us when we're coming in with heavy weeks and we have stuff that's just weighing heavy on our hearts, Or it seems like there's stuff that we've been praying for for a really long time, and it just doesn't seem like God is hearing us. And it seems like there's, I just need someone else to pray with. Like there's something that just, I you're dealing with in your own life that it just doesn't seem like you've been praying that God would just like the power of the resurrection and ascension like this power of Jesus would just overcome whatever this flaw is in your own life the sin issue that you're dealing with in your own life you've been praying about it and you're like man I just it feels really heavy on me as I come into this gathering tonight maybe something that sticks out to you with a song that we sang or a liturgy piece that we read or even pieces of the message that God was, like, laying on your on your heart. Like, I just want us a place where we can respond to people that we can pray with. Like, I do. I just want us to be a praying church. Like, when people come in and they gather with us, like, we're not just the people that are going through the, the ebbs and flows of doing a service together, but, like, we're actually coming in as a needy people who come before a God that we so desperately need to intervene in our life. And we have, like, people that are set aside that we can come, we can specifically go to after the service and pray with and sit down with. And we know that we can like do this thing together. You know what I'm saying? So look, I I don't have like a link for you to go to fill out or anything. Like just come talk to me. If that's something that interests you, come talk to me because I would love to build. Like I would love to see a team for us to build out here that um, could be a prayer team for us. It's just like a team that's constantly going before the Lord, advocating for our city, advocating for us as a people, advocating uh, for what we long to see God do in our lives that we just know we have a team that's like leading us forward in that prayer. You get that? Feel that? I, I was at a conference that was like, hey, it feels like we come and we like cook up all these ideas in the kitchen and then we bring it and we present it like, oh, look at this idea that I had. And then it's like already all spelled out. I, they're like, we should just come and talk to the church about these ideas before we have like all the plans figured out. So that's what I'm doing right now. All right. So, Hey, pray with me and then, um, we'll do communion together and pray. All right.